Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. This chapter is also prophesying Christ. And a rod hath come out from the stalk of Jesse, and a branch from his roots is fruitful. Jesse was King David's father. That means Jesus Christ will come from the lineage of King David. Both Mary and Joseph were directly descended from King David. Joseph claimed paternity, even though he really wasn't the biological father of Jesus, and Jesus did have some of Mary's DNA. That doesn't mean that there's a mother of God. We have to get that false doctrine out of our heads, because Jesus created the entire world, and he created Mary. So Mary didn't give birth to God. She gave birth to the bodily form that the Son of God came to earth in. You can't be the mother of somebody who created you. 2. Rested on him hath the Spirit of Jehovah, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of Jehovah. These spirits will rest on Christ, and that's why he was so wise at such a young age. Isaiah said that he would know the difference between right and wrong by the time he was about two years old. And also in the New Testament, when he was 12, he was teaching scholars in the temple. Now these spirits are the spirit of God, the spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, and the spirit of strength or might, and the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of fear. Those are seven spirits. And in the book of Revelation, it says that there are seven spirits that stand before the throne of God. And all of those are listed here in this verse. 3. To refresh him in the fear of Jehovah, and by the sight of his eyes he judgeth not, nor by the hearing of his ears decideth. This means that Jesus Christ would not judge by what he sees and hears like you and I do. You and I have prejudices, and we believe what we see, generally. That's why we are not good judges of people. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. All we know is what gets presented to us. And somebody could look really scruffy and out of place, and we could easily judge them as not being a Christian. But the Son of God would not judge people that way. He would look straight into their soul and straight into their heart to judge them. 4. And he hath judged in righteousness the poor, and decided in uprightness for the humble of earth, and hath smitten earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he putteth the wicked to death. This is talking about Jesus. In the book of Revelation it says that he will arrive back on earth with a sword coming out of his mouth, and he will slay those who hate the Lord in the day of his wrath. And here Isaiah is describing the very same thing. Plus, Jesus did judge the poor. He fed the multitudes twice with fish and bread. That was his judgment. They were hungry, and they needed food, and he gave it to them. He also healed the poor, and he forgave the poor of their sins. He preached the gospel to them, and that was how he judged the weak, the helpless, and the poor. That's how you and I should judge the weak, helpless, and poor as well. Give them the gospel and take care of their physical needs. And he decides uprightness because he humbles people. For the humble of earth he gives mercy and forgiveness to those who humble themselves before him and repent. 
5. And righteousness hath been the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Around his waist he wears righteousness as clothing. Faithfulness is also a belt around his waist. When we go to heaven, we will be dressed in righteousness as well. Thessalonians and Revelation describe his people, his bride, being dressed in white garments of righteousness. He also described this in one of his parables that he told. 6. And a wolf hath sojourned with a lamb, and a leopard with a kid doth lie down, and calf and young lion and fatling are together, and a little youth is leader over them. In heaven, a baby child will be able to play with lions and wolves. The predator will lie down with the prey and take a nap together. In heaven there is no death and there is no terror. 7. And a cow and bear do feed, together lie down their young ones, and a lion as an ox eateth straw. There won't be any death in heaven, so the animals that used to eat animals, they will eat grass and herbs, just like they did in the Garden of Eden. It's not a sin to eat animals, but in heaven we won't have to, because there's no hunger in heaven, and there's no scarcity in heaven. 8. And played hath the suckling by the hole of an asp, and on the den of a cockatrice hath the weaned one put his hand. Today you don't want to put your hand into the den of a scorpion because you're going to get poisoned. But in heaven, a baby can put its hand in the nest of a scorpion. 9. Evil they do not, nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for full hath been the earth with the knowledge of Jehovah, as the waters are covering the sea. Maybe in the millennial reign, because there is peace on earth, in addition to not being war, maybe there's no death during that time either. I can't be quite sure if this is talking about heaven, the millennial reign, or both. But we know certainly it will be this way in heaven. There will be no death and no danger. But here he does describe his holy mountain on earth. So that sounds like the millennial reign. 10. And there hath been in that day a root of Jesse that is standing for an ensign of peoples. Unto him do nations seek, and his rest hath been honor. So this is the millennial reign. It's a Sabbath rest. It's the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, which comes before Armageddon and after the tribulation. And all of the nations will come to Israel to be judged by Jesus Christ. 11. And it hath come to pass in that day, the Lord addeth a second time his power to get the remnant of his people that is left from Ashur, and from Egypt, and from Pathros, and from Cush, and from Elam, and from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from Isles of the Sea. Now Isaiah is going a little bit further back in history instead of forward, and he's talking about when the Lord brings all of the Israelites back to Israel. He's going to bring them from the Isles of England, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Ethiopia, and other places around the world, and they're going to come back to their homeland, which happened in the 1940s, but it also probably happened when things settled down after the Assyrian army was conquered. With Isaiah's visions, they kind of oscillate from one time period to a different. Sometimes he's talking about when Christ comes to earth, in other chapters, he'll be talking about when Christ is crucified, 
At other times, like we just read, he was talking about the millennial reign of Christ and what Isaiah was prophesying to King Ahaz about the Assyrian army coming. 12. And he hath lifted up an ensign to nations, and gathered the driven away of Israel, and the scattered of Judah he assembleth from the four wings of the earth. Now this could be talking about after the Assyrian army is conquered. It could also be talking about the 1940s. It could also be talking about the millennial reign, or all three. That's the thing about prophecy in the Bible, is it's multi-leveled. Sometimes you can read a verse as if it's prophetic for you as an individual. You can also read it as a historical prophecy that already occurred, or you can read it as a future prophecy of something that's going to happen. 13. And turned aside hath the envy of Ephraim, and the adversaries of Judah are cut off. Ephraim doth not envy Judah, and Judah doth not distress Ephraim. Ephraim wanted to plant their own king in the land of Judah, which was evil and wrong, but apparently it's because the Judaites were causing them some sort of distress, and so they wanted to put their own king in Judah so that their king would make their lives easier, because Ephraim is a different tribe, but it's a neighboring tribe to Judah. But when the Assyrian army gets conquered, then Ephraim will no longer be jealous of Judah and no longer want to usurp the kingship of Judah. 14. And they have flown on the shoulder of the Philistines westward. Together they spoil the sons of the east, Edom and Moab sending forth their hand, and the sons of Ammon obeying them. When we get to the New Testament, the Philistines will be totally wiped out by then, but Isaiah lived during the reigns of the kings of Judah. When he was alive, some of the Philistines were still alive. This is giving metaphorical names to any nations who would oppose the Israelites during the millennial reign. It's metaphorically calling them Edomites, Moabites, and Philistines because those were the traditional enemies of Israel. Jesus will judge them and they will obey Jesus during the millennial reign so that they do not attack Israel. The Bible sometimes calls the Syrians Syrians, and sometimes it calls them the Assyrians, but it's really all the same people. And also Babylon and Assyria are in the same location, so I think when we talk about Babylon, we're talking about the Assyrians. 15. And Jehovah hath devoted to destruction the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and hath waved his hand over the river in the terror of his wind, and hath smitten it at the seven streams, and hath caused men to tread it with shoes. This says that Jehovah is going to dry up the Nile so that people can actually walk over it in the shallow areas. So he's going to strike Egypt with drought. Egypt is very important in prophecy. It comes up numerous times. The Lord used Egypt against the Israelites, and sometimes for the Israelites. And remember, the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. Part of that time, near the end of it, they were slaves in Egypt. But during most of the time they were in Egypt, they were treated really well, and they prospered there. 16. And there hath been a highway for the remnant of his people that is left, from Ashur, as there was for Israel in the day of his coming up out of the land of Egypt. 
That means that people will be able to cross the river because the Lord is going to cause a drought. And it'll be similar to when the people crossed the Red Sea to leave Egypt. When they crossed the Red Sea, it wasn't because of drought. It was because God parted the waters. But in the end times, the Lord will cause the rivers to have a drought so that armies can cross the rivers. This is also mentioned in the book of Revelation. And that concludes Isaiah chapter 11.